0: At Total Wine & More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party?
2: Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine & More.
1: My name is Dave Hanraddy and there will be no Encore. Welcome to episode two hundred and forty-three of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. The Biden crime family is stealing the election. The media are covering <laughs> it up. The uh I got the John King here to My Wolf Blitzer. Craig Fitzpatrick has election oh, well, fever. Thank yeah. Has <laughs> sank into your bloodstream yet. How Do I got a wall?
2: It really sure. has. I'm feeling I'm feeling upbeat. We're recording on um Thursday evening, so I don't wanna jinx anything want to be a bit cautious but um yeah no it's we were just saying there before we hit record that it's been a kind of uh, a welcome distraction from the general news um because yeah as you know my my concerns are global and at the moment the globe seems slightly less concerning it's kind of the first good world's news in about like five years right
1: as you say, please don't jinx it. You are, of course, the yeah, guy who yeah. famously said that Brexit wouldn't happen. I'm pretty sure you said Hillary Clinton <laughs> was going to win the last election. And then, of course, we all woke up to a different Brexit world. Brexit still so.
2: hasn't quite happened. That's right? true. Yeah.
1: This this semantic argument that you find yourself in four years it. on is very impressive. Uh, how's it going, everybody? I hope you're all doing well. This is No Encore. This is a music podcast. And on this episode, we'll be reviewing the new album from Ariana Grande. It's called Positions. It's her fourth album in like the last four years. I think we've reviewed them all. And we're going to see how we got on with this this one and of course for the week that's in it our top five list breakdown this week later in the show one i'm terribly excited about songs about america best as delivered by craig worst as delivered by me and uh
2: yeah you hyped Will yeah, I am. Will there be crossover? Um, as there was with TV themes, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I'm really hyped now that it like it hasn't been a Trump landslide or something, which would have made a very very grim segment, um, <laughs> to be quite honest. Or maybe it would have been cathartic. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Um, Yeah, I
2: guess we're upbeat. We're feeling upbeat. It's good. Um, Also,
1: I should note that uh, there was a new episode of No Encore during the week. It was uh, the latest in our track by track series with Nilo, uh, an album co-produced by our wonderful sonic architect, Adam Shanahan. Of course, the album is All The Leaves Are Falling. Um, I believe it's going to chart fairly high in the charts the day that this podcast drops and we're hoping for a number one for the boy. And I've had a lot of really good feedback on this episode already. A lot of people have just messaged me to say that, like, it's a really good behind-the-scenes look at the album. It's a really good conversation. I was worried that it was a bit too, you know, mates having a chat together. And I guess that's what it is, but maybe it works for that. Um, if you haven't heard the album yet, Craig Fitzpatrick described it as, quote, a milestone for Irish hip-hop.
2: It certainly is. It's been a long time coming. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a good one. Um, great to have Adam there as well. Slightly different kind of perspective on things. Yeah. Um, I've heard that he sounded very handsome on it. So that's what a lot of people are saying it. (laughs) So check that out for sure.
1: I will only have handsome co-hosts. That's my rule on this show. Uh, also, <laughs> are you of handsome, this this brand new microphone that sits in front of me, I want to say a huge thank you uh. to all of our patrons, patreon.com slash encore. if you want to help support the show. There's some applause in the background as I pop the fucking mic. Uh, I've got a gorgeous new microphone and I'm very, very excited about it. And I sit here before it. It looks like an award, so I'm going to pretend that I've won an award. But a serious, serious thank you to everyone who has supported the show on Patreon. This year, it's been a huge, huge thing. It's been a very, very important thing, and it's helped the show greatly, and it helps us buy equipment uh, in this crazy, crazy remote era. So it's a huge, huge deal. Uh, it means an awful lot to me and Craig. Thank you very, very much. And as I say, it's patreon.com slash noancore if you want to help us out over there. I, w- I will say, I think we should probably, um, I think we should probably like look at doing some kind of like Ask Us Anything episode, some kind of mailbag episode for the show. Um, what do you think about that, Craig?
2: Mm, I don't know. Yeah, go on. My life is an open book. It'd be good to hear from the people.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, Craig, when I say ask us anything, we have a very discerning audience. I'm sure they're going to be fair to us. That's no problem. So listen, I mean, like we're coming towards the end of the year. It's almost end of year season. We're going to be obviously pulling the shutters down and kind of, I guess, mid-December. We'll be doing our end of year albums and songs. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I guess we just kind of wanted to just check in with uh, people who like the show before that. So if you want to ask us anything at all, we can probably construct an episode out of it. Something kind of casual and fun, hopefully. Uh, ask us literally anything. So if you're on our Patreon page, patreon.com noencore, just send us a direct message there. Or if you want to email us at noencoreshow at gmail.com with the subject header of Q&A and ask us whatever you want. Um, hopefully nothing too strange, but, you know, go for it. Why not? And I guess, you know, if the we get stranger, The stranger better, I say. Yeah, maybe. If he gets some good responses, we'll try and put something together. Kind of like a bonus thing, I suppose. But um, anyway, look, that's enough ramble from me. Uh, Let's get into the news, shall we? And I believe you put the news together this week, Craig. So take it away. I'll
2: take the lead. I'll take the lead. We'll start with a story that is very much... It doesn't feel like news because it's like another case of Spotify being the devil incarnate. Um, I added it because it includes the term digital payola, and I just love that. Payola! Uh, But yeah, it emerged this week that... Artists are going to start needing to earn money just so they can essentially pay Spotify um, or at least keep them slightly afloat. So, um, yeah, this digital payola thing is basically going to be an algorithmic boost on playlists if artists are willing to take a cut in royalties for the songs in question, um, which just seems really weird to me. So the company are saying it's going to be an experiment. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. The reaction has been pretty uh, inflammatory for sure. Uh, it's going to be on artists' radio and autoplay. So essentially... Um, if you know artists think, okay, this is the new single. I want it like really pushed? I'm willing to take a cut in my already meager earnings for it. Um, have out Spotify place me uh, a bit higher up in the algorithm. They can make that happen. And you know, as people have pointed out, this essentially, uh, like in effect, it's kind of like a sponsored post, right? So it kind of needs to be flagged. It's obviously nothing illegal. It's morally a bit, you know, it's a gray area for sure, as everything with Spotify. Um, and, you know, I say that as I also say, head to patreon.com forward slash Encore for a wealth of like carefully curated Spotify playlists from us. It's kind of like we're stuck with it right now. Um, title didn't work out. Longtime listeners of the show will know that. But this is just another like really sticks in the craw, particularly in a week when uh, the Union of Musicians and Allied kind of workers in the US presented a petition to kind of get this stream uh, payments raised to just one cent per stream. Um, and basically kind of lift the veil on sponsored posts. This kind of experiment is, yeah, another kick in the teeth.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I pay my tenner a month, Craig. I'll make as many playlists as I damn well want. But I mean, I <laughs> Good obviously... Good for you,
2: buddy. I fully
1: agree. Yeah, it's morally askew, to say the least. How does it affect the listener? Or does it at all? I mean, obviously, with something like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, you're getting a lot of sponsored ads, which can pop up and get in the way of something. But if you pay your tenor for Spotify, it removes the ads. So is it a case that, for example, if, I don't know, like the Cardigans, for some reason, the first band I could think of there, if they were like, (laughs) yeah, cool, we're in, here's lots of money to boost our stuff. Am I suddenly going to be avalanched in my queue by them? I mean, like, like I, I can't see the the kind of the layout of Spotify almost dictates. Like, it it, it is for you know for all the problems that the company may have and, and its attitude towards the industry, the layout is nice. Like, it's a very decent user interface. <laughs> yeah, so it I really just wonder, is. It's great. <laughs> I just wonder how they're going to clog this up, or are they? Like, like how would it actually get you in front of someone who ordinarily might not jump into say like a, a new music Friday list or something?
2: I think it just really increases the likelihood of this song that's the focus of the cut rates um, being increased. So just like in that kind of rotational system, it gets boosted, it'll just pop up in more people's feeds. I don't think you're going to get a situation where as an individual listener, you're going to be flooded with a certain musician, but um, people will hear these songs more frequently. And yeah, as you say, they're not ads, you will be hearing songs, but in effect, they are ads, right? Because they're paid for. They're like, they're putting, you know, music in the shop window. This is like, this obviously goes way back, I mean, to, you know, the advent of radio and kind of pop music where there'd be kind of payola dealings where DJs to get like, you know, backhanders for putting stuff in rotation. It's kind of that, except it's dressed up in like, I guess maybe that's the most annoying thing for me, how it's dressed up in this like corporate kind of like um very liberal. We're, you know, we're, we're there for the musicians, like... Some of the, the kind of vind- vindication or the justification for this is really interesting. The company is saying, like, this allows our algorithms to account for what's important to the artist. And then they say, perhaps a song that they are particularly excited about, an album anniversary they are celebrating, a viral cultural moment they are experiencing, or other factors they care about. So, yeah, they're just supporting artists, Dave, by taking their money away from them.
1: Um I, mean, I love celebrating albums, you know, you make a whole day of it, you know, get out there. <laughs> raise flags high, get into a parade, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I mean, listen, it ain't good from the same thing. It does sound kind of needlessly evil and corporate, but also, like I say, Spotify, man, I don't know. I mean, like, it's easy to use, so I guess that's why I'm still there. I mean, and also, let, let's be honest here, right? It's better to be flooded by 80,000 songs than, say, 80,000 bees. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I guess <laughs> unless
2: you're unless you're Beyonce, in which case, why not both, I ask you? Oh, man. A segue from a dude that had but one glance at the running order. That I is hasn't professionalism. Hasn't read the news
1: section, and I'm still doing it.
2: <laughs> Yeah, Dave. It's, um, you know, when you're being hit on Spotify, um, you're not touring. It's important to diversify your portfolio, which Beyonce, of course, um, with the smart uh, business head on her, is doing. She's doubled down on her hive, and she's got into the honey business, and... Um, So she did an interview with British Vogue um, and the news story I I plucked this from described it as quite an anodyne interview uh, overall. So there was lots of just kind of like um, time spent at home with the kids and her talking about, you know, working with certain designers for her Blackest King visual album and just kind of very right on, wholesome stuff. Then she was asked, like, tell us something a bit random about you. (laughs) Something people might find surprising. And she offered this. I know it's random, but I have two beehives real ones. I've had them in my house for a while now. I have around 80,000 bees. We make hundreds of jars of honey a year. So she started them with her daughters who have allergies and the honey is good. It has healing properties as well. You know, Dave, from your um, hours spent on goop. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it doesn't seem like a business venture just yet, but who knows? Once you get into bees, it seems to be a slippery slope. I don't know. I mean, I like the fact that uh, it's a random tidbit asked for by the
1: interviewer. It's almost... It, it shades of the time... The only
2: interesting thing in, this, in the entire <laughs> cover feature, yeah. yeah. We've you all of the, kind of been there, right?
1: Reminds me <laughs> of the time that uh, that Joe Duffy just volunteered his passion for model trains to you on the phone as you're about to hang up the phone then you got another fucking 10 minutes out of him. You're like, this is gold. Um, I will say, when Beyonce... I mean, like you talk about Spotify being kind of, you know, a wealth-hoarding organisation. Beyonce, I think friend of the show, Mark Conroy, once had a tweet about how much money she'd made in X-Men's time or whatever. And Mark was like, oh, we stand a queen who hoards impossible wealth. And I feel like most people were like, yeah, "Yeah, we do. And I was like, no, you don't. This is horrible. I'm not suggesting that this B situation is going to lead to some kind of capitalist nightmare
2: dream, but like, I don't know. I mean, you know. Well, she, you know, yeah, there's been a lot thrown around about um, where her product lines come from and um, workers' conditions that are linked to her companies and stuff. But that can be said of everyone that engages in capitalism, Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, there are no innocent bystanders, Dave. That's um, uh, I hope the bees are being treated well. That's all I will say.
1: Yeah, patreon.com slash no encore. I have to say, by <laughs> the way, is it, um, is, is, is it called the Bay Hive? Like has she actually patented? Yeah, surely that's coming, right? That must be the next. Surely
2: it's patented, right? She must have snapped that up. Uh, even if she's not using it officially, best off that she has that secured for sure. Dave, do you want to play a little game uh, with me? <laughs> OK, yeah, why not? <laughs> All right, we had the Spotify story. This is a, a, a brief story about bees, so I'm like, I'm padding stuff here, right? But other musicians that are really into bees and have bees, right? OK, I'm going to give you two names and you tell me who's the one that has and raises bees, OK? Yeah. So let's play to, to be or not to be. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, Flea or Eddie Vedder? That they, they keep bees. Is that, Tell me is that... who keeps bees Flea or Eddie Vedder? Flea, definitely. 100% right. Yeah, it Get is him. Flea. Yeah. All right. OK. John Bon Jovi or Sting? Sting? No, you are uh... not right. It's John Bon Jovi. <laughs> now, I will say when I looked into this, Sting has done a lot to advocate for bees. See, I wasn't but, um, even
1: going for the obvious terrible pun there. I just figured he'd be into some kind of, you know, he's into all kinds of alternate things and strange like lifestyle. tantric sex, Dave. Yeah, that's exactly. what you're talking about?
2: I assume bees could be involved in tantric sex. I don't know. <laughs> oh my <Maybe>. God. <laughs> it's like some Madonna sex film from the 90s with Willem Dafoe. Will you stop bringing that up? You're fucking obsessed with Body of Evidence.
1: <laughs> 1993's Body of Evidence. It was it a huge kids.
2: cultural moment for me. It was a milestone moment like that Nilo
1: interview. Did your fucking, like, dad bring it back from the shop one day? And I was like, gather around, children. We're going to watch
2: Body of <laughs> Evidence. I think Joe mine have been, is in this one. Mine have been far off. I will say actually, you know, Sting has um is well intentioned with his love of bees despite not having hives. John Bon Jovi, it says online, I'm not entirely sure about this, but it seems like a cynical move, right? So rumour has it that he's just being a savvy businessman because apparently there are certain tax exemptions in his home state of New Jersey if you keep bees. So nice little loophole there for John. So can and I get finally, like a can I get um, a
1: half point for that one? I feel like, you know, like morally I was on the right track. Okay, go on.
2: 1.5. And then finally, in Metallica, is it Lars Ulrich or James Hetfield that keeps bees? James. You're a spot on. Yeah. yeah! Thousands oh of bees. my God,
0: I'm
1: so good at <laughs> 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 Thanks, Adam. I can't believe it came back.
2: <laughs> Previously referenced on this very show. Uh, yeah, he finds it very therapeutic, as I can imagine it would be. Um, so yeah, James Hetfield, big into bees. And that is the end of To Be or Not To Be. 2.5, Dave. Well done. Forever, I hope. I
1: wonder if Adam would have played that audio drop if I got them all wrong. Probably yes is the answer. Okay, give me another news story. Again,
2: as noted, <laughs> uh, I haven't a read good week, the running a, Order. A good week for you, Dave. A bad week for a Milwaukee County supervisor who's had to apologise um, for using the song WAP to promote weatherization assistance programmes. <laughs>
1: this thing has gotten way out of hand, hasn't it? Like, it really has. <laughs> I'm all for impairment, but come on.
2: <laughs> Talking about big cultural moments. Um, I, I think this was quite creative um, on his part, to be fair. He seems like quite an earnest chap. We'll get into the story. So the Milwaukee Journal-Central reports um, the county supervisor, Ryan Clancy, originally posted a press release about the WAP Uh, This is the weatherization assistance program, uh, of course. On his Facebook page, accompanied by an image featuring Cardi and Megan, he altered the line from the song to uh, be, there's some holes in this house, and he was forced (laughs) to take it down and issue an apology. (laughs) He's told the Journal Sentinel that um, what I was hoping to do was both to draw attention to a really good program phenomenally run by black women here at the county, getting that in early while also trying to make reference to a song which at its core has to do with empowerment, reclaiming language and destigmatization it didn't land well. I feel like this is fine, right? I think this was quite creative and I also like I wouldn't have heard about this story if he hadn't been told to remove it and if his peers hadn't called it out, right? So I don't I know, like, he took the initiative. I feel it's like it's all this in is- good nature.
1: I feel like this is yet another one of those examples of Dave and Craig wading into territory that they're really not cut out for, and should probably just uh, admire from observe okay, from afar. Let's, and,
2: <laughs> fair enough. We'll move on to the next story. Grammys rename oh no, world music category <laughs> <laughs> over connotations of colonialism. Well, hang on. Let's talk about this uh, before you even give me an before you even give me
1: a yeah. note here. Uh, world music, like, is that an outdated phrase? Probably. I mean, it's it's kind of like I associate it with like whenever Glastonbury pans to a fucking empty stage at like two in the afternoon and it's like, you know, a fucking 82-piece band and it's yeah. like, you know, oh, cool, like, this is cool because, like, they're giving us some culture, but also is that a bit patronising as well just to be like, it's world music. I mean, like, look, you know, as an expression, I've definitely used it. Um, I remember reviewing, of oh, all things, a Hamilton Lighthouser debut solo album and I think at one stage I was like, oh, oh it turns into Hamilton Lighthouse's world music extravaganza at one stage because... You know, it's it's a case of like trying to invoke cultures into what would otherwise be if, if maybe a fairly milquetoast singer-songwriter situation. You could argue that Damon Albarn has gone down that route as well, but maybe, I mean, has, there, yeah. there haven't really been, at least not that I've seen, uh, massive public swathes of people calling for this term to go away, but I'm willing to listen to the argument. Give me the argument, Craig.
2: Yeah, so I guess it, people do feel it's quite a loaded term, and it does go back to what you said of just like, you know, the connotations and not if they're not entirely terrible, but just you kind of immediately think of half empty tents or stages or kind of stuff being shuffled off to the side and put in a box. And yeah, I instantly kind of think, you know, Peter Gabriel Womad Festival or you know, Paul Simon Graceland obviously hugely controversial at the time, the 80s. Go ahead, Dave. yeah. And it- it, well
1: it should be noted that like the two people you've named the two people i've named they're all white men right so therefore you know you could you yeah, could huge. make the argument that like this is exploitative and also i should say as well like this is the week where with the u.s election coverage there was some kind of um backlash to cnn at one stage they had a list of different ethnicities amongst american voters and it had like black white latino something else and i was like okay lads now hang on <laughs> that's like that simpsons gag where it's you know uh, be a jew christian or miscellaneous like i, like, I think you know we've Reached a time where let's drill down into into the fucking specifics here, maybe.
2: Yeah. But yeah, because, you know, it it seems quite innocuous as a term, world music. But it has been around for decades and it has been used to kind of just, I guess, utter slightly. And it has been used by very wealthy um, white male rock stars to kind of just propel their career slightly. Now, I do think it was well-intentioned on behalf of some of them. But yeah, it comes with a whole host of baggage. And to justify the kind of argument and the change, the Recording Academy uh, released a statement and said that over the summer, they held discussions with artists, ethnomusicologists and linguists from around the world. They determined there was an opportunity to update uh, the category towards a more relevant, modern and inclusive term. And it's a departure from connotations of colonialism, folk and non-American, I guess, uh, that the former term embodied. The new term, Dave, Best Global Music Album. That just sounds really
1: corporate and plastic and unappealing, doesn't it? And like,
2: you know, from world to global, it still feels quite separate and utter. It still kind of feels like the same problem, just it's not specifically associated with... You know, decades of stuff, right? Like, well, uh, I mean, I'll this, say this doesn't right? feel like the best thing you could come up with. No, it's well it,
1: intentioned, it, though it is, it definitely doesn't. But I will say, I applaud the Grammys for not introducing further awards because they have about 85 as it is. And this could be an easy yeah, yeah, way. Like, yeah. Let's just really, you know, go regional with this. But yeah, no, it's not. Although, really- Dave
2: you know, in fairness, if you're going to do awards for like best liner notes and reissues and stuff, you could probably do a best album from the Americas or, do you know what I mean? Like best album from, I I don't know. I, I I think they need to really drill down on their categories and remove some of the chaff because now maybe this is, I don't know, it's probably going to upset a lot of people that write liner notes for a living. I don't know. I mean, I like listen. I mean, it's a minefield. Yeah, I I I, I feel like the Grammys alone
1: is, is 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 strange territory. I agree with you in that it probably needs to go a bit slimline in terms of just like making more interesting again. But I don't know, step in the right direction. But yeah, for sure, this feels like a default yeah, sure. brainstorm meeting that like they were like, great, cool, you nailed it. Like, what about global? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't know,
2: Dave. I think we nailed the news Uh, just before we go out. You mentioned there uh, CNN referencing uh, Latino voters. And yeah, I mean, you know, there's been some positives for Trump, for sure. It's not all doom and gloom, though he wants to stop the count. Uh, He did see an increase in uh, the percentage of his Hispanic vote. And um, I think that might be down to one quite important musical artist that gave him his backing earlier in the week um, at a really touching moment. Adam, do you have the clip?
0: And speaking of sound, music, and other things, one of the big superstars of the world, Little Pimp.
2: Point <laughs> the introduction from Donald. Oh. <laughs> little Pump there. Um, yeah, I just couldn't get him over the line.
0: Hang on, I'll like, miss those moments. What you miss those that
2: moments, Dave? What the fuck? It yeah. <laughs> was that like. one of his final rallies. <laughs> I think it like might your, have secured Florida for him. To be quite honest, I love your optimism. Of I'll miss those moments
1: because yes, he's hundred percent going away forever. That I know. I know. I'll say this though. Listen, right, and again, oh god, let's not jinx this because I am potentially afraid of what could happen by the time this podcast even fucking comes out. However, if if it goes the way that we, we want it to go. One thing that I'm so happy about no more fucking Trump protest songs, no more Death Cab for Cutie and their million dollar loan, no more of these rubbish fucking paint by numbers assaults on, you know, admittedly one of the worst human beings to ever exist, but like the music, Craig, like, is that like, did we really get a good run in the four
2: years here? I don't think we did. I don't think we got one decent protest song but it's kind of the same as comedy right where it's just like such an obvious target the argument's already been made there's nothing really creative to draw from it unless you're on Twitter that's where I guess most of the creativity has been filtered
1: oh well that's where all the good stuff happens of course but listen I mean Twitter (laughs) US politics whatever spin you want to put on it music for sure it's all about how you behave and there are certain podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network that take that into account just like this one Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Porik, and we host the Behavioural Vaccine Podcast. We're behavioural scientists who met through improv comedy. And so each week, we bring the two things together to explore how behavioural science can be applied, but in a fun way. There's a little bit of research. There's a good bit of messing. And there's loads of practical tips on everything from how to save money to how to maintain your friendships. Think about this like a behavioural vaccine to get you through winter 2020.
0: Go on, sure, give us a listen.
1: Album time, everybody. Pop sensation Ariana Grande is back with a brand new studio album. It's called Positions, and this song is called Motive. We'll take a quick listen, and then we'll talk all about it. trying subliminally trying to see if i'm gonna be the one to say i admit it's exciting but some
0: me gonna like it But ba i need you on if tell me what's your motive what's your
1: mother what's your nigga life to john king at the magic wall he's gonna tell us who this aryana grande character is and how the election is going for her
2: john uh thanks dave yeah we won't know quite yet you just have to keep counting those votes it's important you keep counting the votes counting the votes counting the votes Was that a good john king he just says I, that a lot and i love him
1: kind of gets something in there about how how much respect he has for all the counters and how it's important that we allow people to do the job at their own pace and how ultimately you know we all may be divided but at the same time you know we're all in this together right that kind of stuff what a man anyway look, mm-hmm. listen ariana grande craig who is she
2: um ariana grande what can i say about ariana grande (laughs) she is um she's a character (laughs) she's good to have around um we were wondering when this album would drop and i said it would probably be a halloween weekend because she's a big like horror film fan which is fun uh she's had close encounters with aliens apparently she's got good wit she kind of finds the fun in pop music at her best and she seems to have become more of an uh, activist of late which is great um but to give a kind of potted history, I guess, she's an artist from the glorious sunshine state of Florida, which um, covered itself in Glory this week. Uh, she started out on Nickelodeon shows, I believe, uh, around about the start of the last decade. And she's been releasing um, variously kind of pop, R&B, EDM, trap-influenced records since about 2013. I think the best of those, um, for my money, was Dangerous Woman, which contains no course first ever song of the year into you which was pop gold um because it like aligned some top tier edme max martin production with her phenomenal voice taking the spotlight um and aside from that you know aside from column inches about her music she's had to deal with the pop star thing of constant attention on her love life which she's been kind of increasingly self-referential about on record um, I suspect because she had to up the ante a couple of years ago when her then-boyfriend Pete Davidson essentially had a running segment about them on SNL. And of her two most recent records released in quick succession, I think Sweetener kind of shifted um, from the club and kind of got more eclectic, had nep- Neptune-y nods um, and contained the likes of No Tears Left to Cry. Um, which found a reckoning with the aftermath of the Manchester Arena tragedy, which she was caught up in as well, which was just um, devastating and would be for anyone. 23 people um, died, including the attacker in that uh, Manchester Arena attack. More, ne- uh, I think uh, 800 people were wounded and she has dealt with it with incredible grace. It would mess anyone up. She's kind of returned to the city. She's embraced it. She's dealt with her own kind of PTSD publicly, taking it in her stride. She's that kind of character. She, you know, kind of breezily moved on with great empathy as well. From there, she kind of thought focused had threw herself into her work and thank you next dialed up the self-examination even more. Super personal from a romantic point of view. Um, even if I don't think it always played to her musical strengths. Um, so we are at positions then, uh, just a year on. And we'd said previously that maybe she was kind of flooding the market slightly. She might have needed to take a step away. Um she said she kind of was kind of um debating that herself because this album was more or less done uh during lockdown she wasn't sure if the time was right for it uh but ultimately she decided okay the songs are kind of there I'll release it for the fans. I'm just doing my job. I think it'll cheer people up. So it's kind of admirable. There's no real narrative around this one. It's not like a kind of folklore style dive into different genres. Um, Doesn't really reacquaint her with her kind of like songwriting strengths. I I think it's kind of R&B pop workouts, 14 of them. How did they stack up for you, Dave? Strangely enough, Greg, they stacked up
1: quite well because I was very much,
2: I I think maybe
1: we're of a similar mindset in that, yes, I mean, everything you said about her character, absolutely, I would agree with. Incredibly resilient, uh, strong, intelligent person and very much a take no shit person as well, which is great. I mean, whether it's whether it's on Twitter or whether it's in interviews or whether it's just the way that she conducts herself with her career admirable I would say and it's interesting to see the effect that it has on the fans as well you mentioned Taylor Swift you mentioned folklore I'd like to start by saying that I I looked up when Pitchfork review of this came out they gave it 7.4 and I braced myself for the worst as I clicked into the comments and the quote tweets much like that horrible Taylor Swift reaction and essentially it was I mean there was some of that but it was for the most part from what I could see from the from the stand base it was a very very pragmatic there was lots of responses saying stuff like uh, not bad, and you know, oh my god, my network managers, this is amazing, and thank you so much for the genuine review. Thank you for this, and I'm like, you know, I'm not necessarily looking to, I'm not suggesting that this is. I mean, it is more edifying than, say, you know, targeted abuse. But, like, yeah. you know, stan culture remains problematic even if they are saying nice things. But it was kind of a nice start to the week. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cute and funny considering what we usually see in this regard. So, I don't know, maybe the Ari- uh, Ariana Grande fan base, the Arianators, I believe they're called, um, are... Yeah. Less problematic than the Swifties. I don't know. But look, listen, that's a whole other world. And Ariana Grande is very much the, I guess, the boss of her own world. She can do what she wants, right? I mean, like, if you talk about the idea of releasing albums year on year, this will be the fourth album in four years that this show has reviewed by Ariana Grande. As noted, we quite like Dangerous Woman. We weren't crazy about Sweetener and Thank You Next, even though we recognised their strengths. Um, You know, sometimes we ask the question on the show, oversaturation like is it a bad thing for an artist to keep releasing stuff but i'd argue that she's part of this generation now and uh, this musical generation this pop culture generation where like it's almost expected of her certainly encouraged of her and you know it's almost like they have to do it and i guess it you know it works for them so like it's different we consume music differently we consume our pop stars differently um and mm. i guess my summary of this album in particular the more i've listened to it and i've listened to it quite a lot this week it goes down easy i think i was initially skeptical and I'd seen some early reaction to it, and people were kind of saying that where are the hits, um, it's more kind of one long R and sultry slow jam. It's a bit mishmashy. It's a bit hodgepodge. I think it is all those things, but I think it's actually her best album from start to finish since Dangerous Woman. But I would certainly agree, and you know, concede that individually there are better songs on those last two three albums. But I thought as a as a, as a work as a flow kept my attention from start to finish. I mean, like, she was commanding. She's always commanding. But she was particularly, like, tightened here or something, just kind of laser-focused a bit more. I mean, it's, there is that kind of idea of, like, and I think that there was certainly a lot of early press on this where everyone was like, oh, she's talking about sex. And it's like, well, she's always done that. So this isn't new. And, you know, like, why is that even a fucking headline? And I would kind of brace myself for it to be Bombarded with this, and just to be almost kind of overwritten in that regard. And there's elements of that for sure. But at in, 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 in the most part, this is a 27 year old woman who is very unique in terms of the life that she leads. Her private life isn't so much private. She obviously exercises that through her songs. And I think she does it well, ultimately, overall. Yeah.
2: Yeah, interesting. I mean, if this was to be something of like a, a salve, I guess, for fans, and like certainly in the midst of a heavy week, like short days, long election counts. Uh, could have been something of a real tonic. Sounds like it was for you, Dave. I did not need like the next phase of Ariana's career, you know, kind of a grand artistic statement. Uh, no, no pun intended there. (laughs) Really no pun intended, but grand. Uh, I just wanted a few memorable bops and I think I didn't get that Dave really, to be honest. Like, I feel like this will be a bit of a footnote in her career just because there's no definitive statement here. Um, it washed over me, whereas it seems to just kind of hold together well for you. So I didn't feel it approached her kind of best work or even like her more flawed recent work. The high points were way higher, I think. And just in this week, it like it was fine to have on the background, but it felt like extremely inconsequential for me. Um, and it's that's not because I kind of you know, it's it, there's a lot of back to back life is good, my fella's good, the sex is good lyrics. Uh, that's great. I think the big takeaway is she seems in a good place, which is great. Um, but I just felt it was kind of expressed in such a tired way, and she's commanding vocally for sure, but lyrically, ugh, I felt like when it tried to be too smart, it just came across as kind of dorky and not as funny as she usually is, and then just other times. Usually around the kind of thematic central hook, it just kind of felt a bit vapid and going for almost like a laugh, do you know what I mean? Um, which didn't ever really land. And then musically, um, you know, it's nice, it's pleasant, but it's very chart. It just kind of had like a that'll do feel to me, maybe because I hold her to kind of higher standards. But, I, you know, looking at the credits, um, the team didn't really inspire um confidence in me. Like, it seems like Max Martin was, like, hunkering down in his castle in Stockholm somewhere, so she could only kind of get, like, Tommy Brown, who does most of it. Um, Tommy Brown of, like, J-Lo, Black Eyed Peas fame. um, it's quite vanilla. He did a Justin Bieber Chance collab also this year, which is kind of the area I think we're in, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Like, this feels almost like wife guy music. (laughs) Obviously, lyrically, it's not, but... Um, we had Justin Bieber's changes earlier in the year and um, that like beat us over the head with the fact that Justin Bieber had found a soulmate. I think this is like that album's soulmate when it comes to like positive but oddly inert chart kind of fluff that can be totally fine and I guess go down easy if you need it to, but Ugh, it didn't really burst with any real inventiveness for me whatsoever. Um, like nothing that's kind of abounded really, to be honest. <laughs>
1: This is a better album than Changes. I mean, quite a bit better, I would argue. And ultimately, you haven't said anything wrong. I mean, I think what I wanted from Ariana Grande, if we're getting a brand new album, I want an inconsequential Ariana Grande album. Frankly, I think she's earned it. And plus, if you look back on those last two records, they were kind of overwhelming. I mean, granted, I speak from experience of working in an office for a while where it wouldn't fucking not be on the fucking stereo. And it was just like, yeah, oh my yeah. God, if I hear this balletic vocal hook in imagine again i'm going to defenestrate myself and if i hear thank you next again i am absolutely going to go back upstairs stand in front of that window again and out i go once more because it's just like okay i can't handle this anymore it's just everywhere 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 so i'm happy to have an album of frankly some generic slow burners because great i feel like her not trying is good this is fine especially if it's a throwaway record that arrives out of nowhere um in the fucking hellscape that is 2020 around halloween and is probably forgotten about a week later but even because there hasn't been a lot of buzz about this i don't even know if she's done any interviews i haven't seen her around it doesn't it doesn't even have like folklore and i guess fiona apple to use two of the bigger kind of uh, female-led pop albums of this year had Mm. their moment in the sun and also vanished kind of quickly in a way this one feels incredibly inconsequential in terms of its impact. But again, grand. Like, I mean, this isn't like it's better than Changes. It's better than Charlie XCX's Lockdown album as well. And I mean, listen, you know, I'm not here to argue for these as classic songs, because, for example, if you look at the three main featured players on here, Ty Dolla 9 The Weeknd and Doja Cat, Uh, none of them do a good job. The weekend in particular is just embarrassing when he shows up. The song is called Off the Table. Oh my God. They've no
2: chemistry whatsoever. It's stunning, isn't it? Because they have
1: been on a song or two before. Um, So like, it's not impossible for it to pop, but like, that is, that has contractual obligation written all over Doesn't it, that one? Like he just shows up and it's boring and it's the worst weekend. It's the worst version of Abel that you hear. And it's like, okay, great, man. Like... Fucking hell, change the record. But I don't know. I mean, this sounds like... Uh, yeah, okay. Then you got songs like 34 plus 35, which, yeah, I think for you, particularly the way that song ends, when she spells out the joke. Oh my it's God.
2: Like, it's not cute. Like, it's not adorable. It's like you, the entire song has been hanging on an end-of-song punchline that's just a reveal for a rubbish joke. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> that's the central thesis. And that'd be fine if, like, it was an amazing pop song, but... You know, it's it, like even musically or sonically, it sounds very close to shut up. It just we've got those kind of taut strings, which I think that could be an interesting aesthetic to go with. But it just jars with the themes here. And yeah, time and again, I just found like like the song 630, where it's kind of um, from the outside in, it seems like, OK, it's quite a nice supportive song for a partner that's like down in the dumps. But it's just about like the gag of when it's 6 30 both hands are down so you're as down as you can be and it's just like a are you down what's up repeated ad infinitum just till i'm like slamming my head against the wall like it, this was the first time i found her kind of irritating and it wasn't her specifically it was everything kind of around it do you know what i mean yeah, I should have. I should have probably hated this album, but I don't. And, I, and I'm not sure why it is. Like, I mean, I do
1: think, you know, if you want to give some individual credit to some other songs, Love Language is Fun, Positions, the single, I, has grown on me in the space of like, what, a week? And I think the closing track, POV, is actually one of her better songs. I think it's a really, really nice way to end an album. But overall, yeah, look, listen, I'm I'm in this curious area where like, it's fairly straightforward. It does feel a bit throwaway. It does feel like it was kind of done over the course of an entire weekend but I think it flows well. I think she's good on it and she kept my attention and it didn't overwhelm me too much. It's a 7 out of 10. I'm sorry.
2: Well, okay. Don't apologise. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, POV is my standout for sure. It's quite a slight song, but it feels complete. And I think the lyrical idea there is really strong and I would agree that that is, that's the one song I will take away. Love Language is the one with like the circus carnival music in the background, right? I yeah. Mean, like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, give me musicals, give me country, but carnival music, Dave. No, um, are a Twin no, this, will not, <laughs> this will not be a 7 out of 10 for me. Um, yeah, like I, I did see you were mentioning like people were saying this is really raunchy and um, like tabloids were kind of saying, you know, uh, lock up your kids. Don't let them listen to this. But I just found this like such an uninspiring soundtrack to like Carnal acts that might as well be like a Jonas Brothers purity ring. Um, I've huge time for Ariana Grande, but I think this is like a four out of ten for me. It's a four because I don't, I can't recommend people spend time with this. <laughs> four out of ten.
1: The Quote Sonic Architect Adam Craig says, Thank you, Next, to this album. Amazing. I love it. Okay. I appreciate it being generous with the old seven. I'm sure end of year, we'll revisit it, which is coming up pretty soon. I've already started putting some lists together. I'm excited for that. It's going to be good. And uh, I should note as well that ages ago, I promised that I would release the infamous Lost episode of Us, myself, yeah. myself, and Dahi last year. I think I still have it. I should have released it by now. If I still have it, I have to go and check. This is fearsome professional I know. I promise to release it via Patreon around about the start of December. Get everyone in the mood. Hopefully we still have it. Oh God, if we don't, I'm going to be really upset with myself. (laughs) Yeah,
2: nice little Christmas miracle. We need one.
1: Yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, Okay, well, listen, what else have you been listening to? I haven't written anything down this week. I don't think I've listened to any new music at all. Um, I don't even know what I have been listening to. I think I've mostly been to... CNN yeah, and their bizarre ads <laughs> yeah. that they play every five seconds for, like you know, the ancient art of taekwondo or uh, get this exclusive watch. You know, the ads are unbelievable. So yeah, and I'm they've just got like a thirty yeah.
2: like a thirty seconds of Zen kind of thing going on as well, which doesn't have the appropriate soundtrack ever. I've found they seem yeah. to sell a lot of watches as well. Well, yeah, I did that, listen it's to, been mainly CNN for me.
1: I did listen to, and I'm not just saying this to plug the Patreon again, but like the Hip Hop Friday playlist that you put out on Patreon this week, which in fairness yeah. is fucking incredible. I added a few songs to it today, but for anyone who doesn't know what that playlist is, Craig, can you please explain? Because it is genuinely great.
2: I think it was the first playlist I ever set up on, yes, Spotify. Um, it uh, harkens back to the hot press days. Um, and when you would be at the end of your tether of a Friday, usually with like deadlines looming, uh, maybe 3,000 words to type up before you could hit the pub. You needed some absolute bangers. And um, we basically tested every hip hop banger over the course of a number of years, the ones that would really stand up and get you across the line. Um, and yeah, that playlist is the fruits of that. It's a collaborative one. Um, patrons are welcome to join in, um, hop on it and put in their favourites for sure. And yeah, a lot of good memories, I guess, associated with that playlist. Um, some of the better times than Hot Press. But it's great. Yeah, just it's an instant kind of um, a shot of espresso, as Kanye might say. Just gets you going, right?
1: Yeah, I was always a huge fan of being there when we were told to turn it down. Um, yeah. It was yeah. just like, oh, so we can play like shit rock music later, but not this. Okay. Um, what a shame. What, yeah, interesting. But I don't know. Look, like, Listen, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's a great playlist. I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, and it got me in the mood, you know It got me in the mood to get into this top five It is, of course, <sighs> Songs About America We're doing best and worst Adam, can we have some um, American patriotic music To kind of to, to lead us in here And just make us feel like, you know I guess, full of red, white and blue That's exactly what I'm talking about <laughs> Just listen, listen to it swell
0: Yeah,
1: I, I'm just not going to say that for a second
0: Fight for what's right
1: Fight for your life Sorry Craig, can't hear you over the sound of all that freedom My god, it's good, isn't it? That is of course Rick Derringer, real American Best known as Hulk Hogan's entrance music for many, many years uh, You're on best this week, Craig I'm on worst Seems to always be the kind of the balance and the split How did you approach this top five?
2: Well, handy that you got your number one best in there, Dave, oh, right yeah. at the top. <laughs> best of all, we're
1: every top five, man. <laughs>
2: um, I approach this. How did I approach this? Yeah, it's songs about America. So <sighs> that music is very distracting. <laughs> in the best way going. possible. Just feel it. Feel I feel it. like I, I should I, be cutting a promo. Yeah. I, like I need to be more high energy for this. Um, <laughs> how do I approach this? There's so many. Like songs about America out there, right? So I initially just went, okay, titles that somehow have America or American in there, and there's floods, right? There's something about America that just like, be it a film, be it a book, be it a song, be it an album, people love just having like American, like ellipses, right? It's it just word. seems to conjure up, a, it's very powerful. Like you wouldn't have like Irish, blah, 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 or even English, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have the same... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like liable to get a bit Bono, but like America's is, is more than a country, man. It's an idea. So that's oh, the way I was approaching you, uh,
1: it. I'm, I'm watching you get cancelled here in real time. Craig Fitzpatrick <laughs> says there are no good songs or things in pop culture with the word English or Irish in them. Everybody, just come back to Can that you next think week. Of one? Yeah? Uh, the English Way by Fightstar, spin-off band from Busted, starring Charlie Simpson, of course, in the lead role. Yeah, there's <laughs> loads, man.
2: An Englishman in New there's York. A, there's a Morris song, a mar- right? Oh, oh, Jesus, really? I'm <laughs> no. an alien. I'm, <laughs> I'm no. a legal alien. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. thing, just really making it clear that his papers were in order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's real bad. But um, yeah, obviously, you know, as a backdrop to songs, um, as a country, it's used quite a lot. I did want to focus on America being the central character, I guess, in the songs, right? So that was kind of my cutoff point. It had to be a primary focus. Sorry, can I just uh, derail this for a second? Because I thought of one, right? I thought of one that actually
1: combines both of what I just said,
2: and, and but it's a cancelled artist, isn't yes, it's it? Is. Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> you've read my mind. Oh, Irish
1: blood, English heart. Yeah, what a song! What a, while we're at it, first of the gang, what a song! Anyway, let's move on fast, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> How did you approach worst?
2: Was there because um, you had a lot to choose from? I'm, this was my fastest top five in some time. I Yeah, like, I can imagine. Like, I'm expecting a few old favourites to maybe pop up, but say no that more. That
1: might happen. I mean, like, let's just be honest with all the listeners. Uh, remember, I, I messaged you over the weekend I was like, hey man, I'm not feeling great mentally. I might not do the show next week. And then I was like, yeah, oh, fuck it, I will. I want to, I've been listening to this Ariana Grande album and I got to defend her corner. So I'll, I'll jump back in. Um, but ultimately I was like, we need a top five that's uh, fairly free and easy. Not too much research and just like a bit of fun. And we went through a few ideas and then you came up with this one. And I was like, that's perfect. Let's do it. Best and worst. I'll take worst. Done. And then literally like after I stopped WhatsApping you, I just wrote down five, four, three, two, one. And I did make a couple of changes, <laughs> like especially with all the election stuff happening. I kind of broadened my, my net a bit much because, you know, It's easy to do, there's so many songs, as you say, with America in the title, like not all of mine have that for sure. And of course, listen, I've already tweeted to this effect without saying what it is, but like fucking no prizes for guessing at least one of my five, because it's, of course it's in there. (laughs) But we'll we'll get to it. I'm looking forward to hearing it. (laughs) Oh, listen, I've been listening to it all day and I hate myself, but um, essentially I, I tried to incorporate stuff that incorporates American, the American dream patriotic nonsense uh particularly some of the musical styles and also some stuff that has the word america on there that is just reprehensible for a million vari- uh, a million different reasons I'm, v- I'm pretty happy with my fucking top five but sorry you were okay. about to say something i talked do you want to um do you,
2: so. you want to um, <laughs> kick off then because i feel like america's shown maybe it's better side this week so we might end with uh, the best and also it'll be funnier if it turns out one of my good ones is one of the ones you're absolutely slamming so do you want to jump in with your number five
1: yeah, I'll, I'll kick us off at number five for me and the worst songs about America Corner. And yeah, listen, it's a returning guest. Let's just do it. Come on.
0: It's full of old guitars My star i on Hollywood about Somewhere between Cher and James Dean It's fine for me So how you gonna do it? I'm gonna trade this life away for- Fortune and fame. I'd even cut my hair
1: and change my name. Cause we all just wanna be big rock stars and
0: live in hilltop bosses driving 15 cars. The girls come easy and the drugs come cheap. Well I'll stay skinny cause we just won't eat it. Well Hey out out in the coolest bars and the VIP with the movie stars. Every good gold digger's gonna wide up there. every blade.
1: Yep, it's famously Canadian rockers, yeah. Nickelback and Rockstar. How is this American, Dave? You say, well, come on, listen to it. Listen to that song. It is clearly a homage, pastiche, ripoff, uh, nightmare, whatever you want to call it. Uh, ode to the American Beaver dream. dream. Yeah, Fever Dream is pretty good. I'll take that. Uh, released in th- July 2006, it is one of their most successful songs. The video on YouTube on the Roadrunner Records channel has 211 million views, and the video is quite famous, lots of people lip-sync into this song. Just a good old time, really. People in that video include Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top, who also provides terrible vocals on the track. And then you got the likes of Kid Rock, Eliza Dushku, the lads off American Chopper, Chuck Liddell of MMA fame, Gene Simmons of Kiss fame, assorted playboy models, Taron Manning, Wayne Gretzky, Liam Lynch, 3-6 Mafia, Nelly Furtado, Ted Nugent, and the Naked Cowboy, among others. A uh, famous video, a tongue-in-cheek song. Nickelback seemed to do a lot of those, and mm. I have a problem, Craig. The problem yeah. I have, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Listen to the song a lot today. I think it might kind of be good. Maybe
2: like, don't you dare? After all don't this you time, dare.
1: it's it's kind of a jam. <laughs>
2: it's <Like, laughs> <That's I>, kind <laughs> of a jam. I flashback.
1: Think think of structure. You know, think think of the structure. Right. It works. Let's be honest. It works. And like, listen, I found myself, Craig. I found myself, especially because i like on Spotify, the aforementioned Spotify. I It rolled into a live version of Photograph by the band. And I found myself, Craig, oh. I was back in the three arena that night when I was out of my mind drunk. And I fucking bopped along to Rockstar, ironically, hammered. I had a great old time. Have you been drinking today, go... Dave? <laughs> no,
2: I haven't. I
1: haven't I have not. Uh, I feel like I would go and see Nickelback tomorrow if it was safe to do so. I'm not here to say it's a great song. I think it might be growing on me. Can you please
2: help me? Yeah, I just want to say I, you know, for years I did kind of just um have this marked as an ironic kind of fun for some people song, but The more you hear from Nickelback and you said they have a lot of ironic, fun songs. I don't think Chad's being ironic, to be quite honest. I think this is his dream and he's living it and he's celebrating it and he's kind of doing it. oh, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but he's not really. I'm going to stop you right there, Craig, because I dug out an interview
1: that he did with Men's Health in October of 2012, in which they discussed this very, very thing. So I'm going to give you like a bit of a transcript here. The interviewer says, in the song Rockstar, you brag about the good life that comes of being a famous rock singer. How much the lyrics are true for you? Uh, Chad essentially plays this down and says that, no, not really. As soon as I get a star on Hollywood Boulevard, then I'm there. Um, he's asked, do you at least have a king-sized tub big enough for 10 plus you? I thought that came standard with most record contracts. Then Chad gets into some industry talk. You know, he says, no, I don't think anybody gets rich off record contracts anymore. But the thing about the song, it wasn't written as wishful thinking. It wasn't about my life or what I wanted it to look like. It was about how the average person conceptualizes being a rock star, which is kind of absurd. When you step back and look at everything on the list, Everything the guy is hoping for is kind of hollow. The only part that's insightful (laughs) is when I start taking jabs at the industry and saying things like getting washed up singers to write all my songs, because that's true. Hollywood's full of them. Then the interview goes, so uh, you're being ironic. And Chad says, that's it. Exactly. So
2: there you go, Craig. I think Chad don't protest too much, particularly because, and this is interesting, I think we have now quoted that Men's Health interview uh, twice in a space of about a month on this show uh, when Mark O'Brien joined me for um, sexiest songs and, of course, least sexy songs uh, Nickelback featured. And yeah, I think I quoted uh, elsewhere in this interview where he talked about, um, you know, coupling up with his uh, current partner and how he had to put away his Rolodex of ladies and how he was quite <laughs> the player, oh, and it's... he came across very like. So you know he can say that. Oh yeah, I'm actually writing about what the common people um want, but actually it's quite hollow. But he's just short of going because I've been there and I've experienced it, man. And yeah, it is hollow.
1: Well, he says, you know, <laughs> so, uh, w- do you know what I mean. it's put to him? When it's put to him that he doesn't get enough credit for, or he doesn't get a lot of credit for irony, uh, the, no, interviewer says, <laughs> <laughs> the interviewer says, love them or hate them. Nobody hears a Nickelback song and things. That's some wicked irony. It always seems like you're wearing your heart on your sleeve. Chad says, I think the fans get it. They understand when we're joking. For the average listener who just has music on in the background, they're probably not going to pay too much attention. Any irony falls on deaf ears. Uh, this was a very successful song. Peaked at number two in the UK. It's their biggest hit over there. Uh Pizza number two in the Irish charts, actually I should say as well. So we're not above criticism. Um it has not <laughs> been received well critically. Uh lots of people have said that it's one of the worst songs of all time. Rolling Stone ranked the song at number one hundred in their one hundred best songs of two thousand and
2: seven. So, you know, there are people out there who who dig it. How do you feel about it, Greg? And they work for Rolling Stone. <laughs> No, I, d- I take your point, Dave. You made a good argument there, and um, you know, as Chad says, that it's the fans that can really appreciate the layers of these songs, um, which you clearly can do, Dave, as a confirmed fan. Well, I have seen
1: them live. I <laughs> do would you deny again. it. I mean, look, listen. I mean, I, I'm I'm hoping that Hero featuring Jesse Scott is on your top five, but I guess it's time to find out. Give me your number five.
2: Okay, um, my number five is, uh, there's a similarity here because it's another case of an outsider, uh, a foreigner, looking in at the American dream. Years. To yeah, the David Bowie, Young Americans, and every week for me is really a kind of a, a, an exercise in self-restraint from not picking a Bowie or Prince song, it seems. Um, so Bowie has crept back in, I think, for the second time. Um, and yeah, this is, you know, it could have been this or it could have been I'm Afraid of Americans, which uh, turned up many, many years later. Um Worked with uh, Trent Reznor on the, I think the remix of that, um, a bit more abrasive, a bit more cynical it would seem. But actually, this song, despite being like really good kind of adaptation of Philly Soul, um, and being quite a joyful listen, is pretty cynical as well. It's weird. This came out in like early 1975, um, and it details kind of you know young Americans that are trying to pursue the American dream and their hopes and dreams and um, they're just kind of being brought down by society and everything around them. It's the dark underbelly and it's essentially kind of like a Bruce Springsteen song, lyrically. Um, It's something that could have been like maybe um, lyrically on Born to Run, which then emerged like six months later. So uh, kind of proto- Bruce song. Uh, but yeah, musically, it's just totally diving into the world of soul. It's funky as hell. It's quite like, it was totally a cynical move, this entire album, which is called Young Americans for Bowie. He hadn't really had a big hit or any hit in the US. So he's like, I will just double down on the Americanness. ness um, hire a bunch of really adept uh, Philly artists. He had... Um, He had Luther Vandross uh, on backing arrangements and stuff like that at a time when uh, Luther Vandross was not known whatsoever. Um, He also brought in Carlos Alomar on guitar, who was like, they had a great partnership together. Carlos had been like, you know, I think a resident guitarist for uh, the Apollo Theatre, worked with James Brown, which Bowie loved. His stand-in was Niall Rogers. um, So just, it's like drenched in funk and he pulls it off really, really well. And it's extremely, extremely American through this weird kind of alien English prism.
1: Uh, of course, Bowie. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, I pick Nickelback, you pick Bowie. We, we go for our favourites. Uh, how many times has Bowie appeared on your list now? I feel like it's quite a lot. Maybe Nickelback is starting to catch, but...
2: Uh That's amazing. Um, I think I only picked up one other Bowie song. It was Station to Station for like songs over 10 minutes. I don't think there's been another Bowie, but I will say most weeks I have to at least do a 30 second clip because he's like in the running at such a late point (laughs) that I'm like, I've got to get it prepped and I usually have to cut him. But um, yeah, like as I was saying, I mean, this is quite like cynically him looking for the American market, but he was on such an amazing creative streak that he just slotted seamlessly into this style and kind of elevated it. And he like called it like Plastic Soul himself. Do you know what I mean? So it kind of added to it almost that he was coming over to kind of like as a big cash grab to get the win the Americans over, which he totally did. Well, you know, we've got a good pattern going here so far. We have two songs
1: down, no American artists stepping up yet for their <laughs> own country. So why don't we keep that going? At number four for me, and yes, it's someone who has appeared several times before as well, kind of turning into a figure of fun. Let's do it.
0: This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom, talking about.
1: you know who that is, Craig, at number four for me? I don't have a clue, Dave. Really? No. Be- because this is interesting, because like oh, this man. is such a throwaway song. It's Paul McCartney
2: and the song... Oh, yeah. I should have known that weak Liverpoolian voice. <laughs> the song is called Freedom. And yes, it is, in fact, a
1: song in response to the September 11th, 2001 tragedy, in which Paul just had to write a song, you know. Uh, he uh, On that day, on that fateful day... Paul McCartney was sitting in a plane parked on the tarmac at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York City while the terrorist attacks occurred and was able to witness the events from his seat, apparently. Uh, In an immediate response to this, it was announced that the proceeds from one of his singles would be donated to aid the families of New York firemen, and he became heavily involved in organising the Concert for New York City, a huge all-star charity show Planned for Madison Square Garden uh, in October, and he wrote a new song quickly. I think is the key word here. It's called Freedom, which he would end up debuting at the show. Played it live a few times on his American tour. He'd actually released an album that year called Driving Rain. It was his twelfth studio record. So when he was Oof. on the tour for that, <laughs> yeah, on the tour for that, he would uh, play the song here and there. But like you heard the lyrics, right? I gave you the verse. I gave you the chorus, and that's pretty much the entire song. Like it continues in that vein. It's so. Cheesy, stomp and clap, and you know, very generic lyrics about universal stuff and the idea of America being free again. And then there's that really kind of strange lyric there in it when he kind of says, um, "This is my right," and like, he says, "I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll, basically says I'll fight you if you try and take it away from me." Um, I don't know. I think it's just it's a bit too saccharine for me. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it helps anybody. I feel like it's really, really in the middle it's him meaning well with that glint in his eye. And, you know, he obviously helped a lot of people out with, you know, charitable endeavours. But Jesus Christ, like, I don't think anyone needs this.
2: Yeah. Um, I was being a little harsh on Mac. there. He's obviously an undoubted genius, one of the best of all time. But when he was trying to do a kind of cause song, a protest song, when he, I think, sits down going, I am going to write a song about this Never quite comes off. That's very much a case in point. It reminds me I hadn't heard it before. It reminds me of um when he did like that Irish protest song. I think when he was in Wings called do you remember the title? <laughs> Give Ireland back to the Irish. Which oh my is god, a lovely sentiment.
1: <laughs> I've never I, I didn't know this existed.
2: Yeah, yeah, kind of misjudged, musically terrible as <laughs> is the case here, which is like it's not his area of expertise whatsoever. I mean, whatever you think about John Lennon, he could kind of like this was a role he could slip into and he could kind of pull this off because he was just a kind of more sardonic um politically politically active person in general, but McCartney is kind of too right on and he's too nice of a dude, right? It just feels like his heart's not in it, really. His heart is primarily in the plodding tune that he thinks is quite lovely. But also, and it's like, not that lovely. The,
1: the strange thing with this one is I, I could be wrong here. I, I looked for it, but I didn't spend the day looking for it. I don't think that there's a studio version of the song. I think he just played it live. Like it's on some deluxe edition of like an American tour fucking double disc thing he put out or whatever. So it's there. And the the audio I played there is from fucking CD UK. Like it's just like him in a cheap studio in Britain and a crowd clapping along and him smiling and waking up the camera about this song about 9-11. And it's like... Uh, if you I don't know I just I, it just felt so hollow and by the numbers and like like you'd never heard of it like so there you go this shows you the impact I, I'd never heard of it I was just kind of, like I was trying to think outside the box this week and I stumbled upon this one and I was like I think I have something here
2: um, like ironically because Paul absolutely fucking did not it's a good find he's released a lot of solo stuff that is you know he's done some good work in the last few decades but it's you know by and large pretty forgettable and this is for someone that should be, I think, viewed as up there as like a, a kind of modern day pop cultural Beethoven or Mozart, he's like I couldn't figure out who this was just from a kind of um, like faraway clip I was listening to. It could have been Cliff Richards, you know, it's, <laughs> Mozart. It was not. So a good find. I will not be returning to it. Though, do Dave. you have? I, um, I will.
1: Do you have an American for us finally
2: to introduce into this list, or where are we? i don't just have one american dave i've got two dope boys in a cadillac So I was kind of spoiled for choice in terms of hip hop hip hop songs that kind of reveal um, the inequalities and the problems with American society. Uh, I went for just one of my favourite to listen to. This is Outkast with Gasoline Dreams, which opens um, Stankonia, um, a Watershed album for them obviously that iconic cover with the black American flag. And yeah, that whole album felt like a State of the Union address around about the turn of the century. And this kind of just kicked things off amazingly. They bring in that like gnarled electric guitar, crops up on the likes of Bombs Over Baghdad, which again is, you know, American foreign policy in the course. That one's mainly about the Jew themselves. But um, yeah, this is pretty hard hitting. It's great. There was a lot to choose from. Uh, I could have gone... Maybe Public Enemy Fight the Power, which was released on 4th of July, and it's so good. Just kind of saying, you know, Elvis was a hero to most. Never meant shit to me. Even The Message, which feels like, you know, the first big hip-hop song was essentially dissecting American society and what it means for uh, black Americans. Uh, But yeah, I love this. I mean, Andre 3000, I think, is top five for me. Big Boy is no slouch either. And just the lyrical dexterity, it's so great. You can totally hear... How this would go on to influence, like, sort of run the jewels, um, coming from the the deep south as well. You know, it's just like at a, at a time when maybe Georgia might flip blue, which I think these two would be very happy about. Uh, yeah, Atlanta's finest. The um album I think recently had an anniversary just there at the weekend, possibly maybe
1: twenty twenty year. Yeah, would have been. And yeah, same as I think I think I think it came out on the same day as all that you can't leave behind by you So That's quite the chart Interesting. war there. Um.
2: Are Outcasts underrated, would you say? I feel like at this point they are not, I I think they're now seen as the greatest hip-hop duo of all time, just with this generation, with our generation. I think they were certainly slept on for much of the last decade. And even when they were having big hits, I think the feeling was, you know, they were quite um, creative and different and were kind of flying the flag for a scene, but then they crossed over into the pop realm. Um, but I think now it's pretty clear there was no real selling out. They just had a huge breadth of musical influences. They pushed genres for outside of hip-hop. I think they're getting their credit now, right? Like, it's almost that thing of, like, Andre Streethausen being Paul Scholes or something, where people say he's <laughs> underrated for so many years that he becomes kind of overhyped. Do you know what I mean? Like he'll give us guest verses here and there, and there's such kind of slim pickings that we're just like, this is the best thing ever. It's another, you know, he's he's bestowing uh, us with some more uh, greatness. But I think he's definitely top five.
1: Well, I guess I think about the idea of like you know mainstream kind of breakthroughs. I mean, Miss Jackson was huge, and then Heya was was fucking colossal in the early two thousand. Yeah, and I think a song that like I think familiarity really kind of a contempt with that one. I think for a lot, of, I think for a lot of outcast fans, I can speak for a couple. You know, there's almost a resentment towards that song because it really doesn't represent them too much, uh, even though it's like a fun throwaway pop song. I guess if there's anybody listening to this right now who is like, I've actually never checked out Outcast beyond the singles, what album should they start with, Greg?
2: Yeah, because they're so varied that it depends on what exactly you're into. I suppose if you want to dig into the pure rap and the kind of heavier psychedelic vibes that they brought from the South. Aquemini might be the way to go. Um, Stankonia is incredible though. Um, I think Stankonia is the big one of the more familiar outcasts. I think their best-selling album was the like the twin albums of The Love Below, in a speaker box, but Stankonia was more concise. It's the two of them together. Um, but then delve into the back catalogue for sure. Aquemini is a really good place to start.
1: Adam backs you up with Stankonia 100%, so everyone go listen to that one. Don't listen to the album that my third choice is from, though. We're back to War Songs About America, and I do apologise... in a salate. I get a double shot It goes through my body and you know I'm satisfied I drive my mini paper and I'm feeling super duper you they tell me I'm a trooper and you know I'm satisfied I do yoga and pilates and the room is full of hotties So I'm checking out the bodies and you know I'm satisfied I'm digging on the ice I the physics. she's is dope and if all this can give me hope You know I'm satisfied I got a lawyer and a manager an agent and a chef Three nannies and assistant and a driver and a jet A trainer and a butler and a bodyguard A five, a gardener and a stylist. Do you think I'm satisfied? I'd like to express my extreme point of view I'm not a Christian and I'm not a Jew. I'm just living out the American dream. And I just realized that nothing is what it seems. I had to change my name. Whoa, move over three <laughs> stacks. It's 2000 era Madge. Oh. It's Madonna, an American life. The title track from her ninth studio record. And... Who boy? <laughs> Where to begin? If you've never heard that song before, yes, it's a real song. It was panned by music critics uh, quite quickly and rightly so. Um, that rap, Craig, you know, in a week in which you have shared Hip Hop Friday with the world, how come this
2: wasn't on there? Sorry, I, I think it was a bit of an oversight, was it? I will say this is probably like the A list version of Rude Box by Robbie Williams. What was she oh, wow. thinking?
1: Fuck, I forgot about that song. Jesus. Um, Remember
2: the, the the album artwork? Her, yeah. Her like a beret basically going all kind Shea of Gevara. guerrilla warfare, Che yeah, yeah, Guevara. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. It's a concept she was album, subversive. Right?
1: It's a concept album, you know, it's about um, themes of the American dream, American German materialism, <laughs> um, rejecting the reputation that she held in the 80s. So no longer the material girl. Now the guerrilla activist, I suppose. Um this is just outrageously bad. And I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned box there. So, yeah, like a lot of pop stars, you know, they have a couple of these in their locker, right? A couple of ill-advised, overconfident, I can do anything kind of moments. So she produced this album with um, uh, Mirway, Mirway Amadzi. I, I I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. And it appears that that uh, Mirway here was a bit of an enabler, To Madonna Um, she describes it as the song is a trip down memory lane looking back at everything I've accomplished and all the things I once valued and all the things that were important to me what is my perspective now I fought for so many things I've tried hard to be number one stay on top to look good to be the best and I realize a lot of those things that last are the things that matter like they're none of those things so it's like okay cool yeah fair enough you know shallow materialism etc no problem But she talks about, you know, how the rap happened. And she's like, well... (laughs) How did it happen? (laughs) Well, she says, basically, uh, myself and Mirway had recorded the whole song and we had this instrumental thing at the end. Mirway was like, you know what? You have to go and do a rap. And I said, get out of here. I don't rap. And he was like, yeah, you do. Get in there. Do it. He totally (laughs) encouraged me. I had nothing planned, nothing written. And he just told me to do stream of consciousness, whatever I was thinking. That always works, as we know. She continues... Because I was always drinking soy lattes in the studio and I drove my Mini Cooper to the studio, I was like, okay, let me just talk about the things that I like. So I went and it was total improv and obviously it was sloppy at first, but I got out all my thoughts and I wrote everything down that I said and I perfected the timing of it. So it was totally spontaneous. According to uh, Madonna biographer, Carol Gnowski, the repeated acoustic guitar riff in the song adds a touch of pathos. And yeah, it's... um. Pathetic, all right. It's pretty astonishing. Um, Leave it to a journalist uh, from Slant magazine called Paul Schroet who put it at number 67 on his ranking of all of her singles in August of 2018. He said, If you can forget that American Life contains possibly the worst white girl rap of all time, it's actually an admirably, admirably gutsy lead single for an album that would effectively end Madonna's reign on the US pop charts. She and her producer fuse a dreamy acoustic chorus with harsh, skittering drums and laser-like synth sounds, and the disorienting shift reflects Madonna's state of mind in the lyrics, Questioning the demands of the dream factory and moving towards something resembling personal satisfaction. It's pop as bomb-throwing protest. Now, I feel like that's one of those things 15 years on when you try and recontextualize, what is, come on, an unmitigated disaster.
2: Yeah, it's really bad. As we all know, uh, high high art often results from improv. Soon the Jay-Z technique of not writing down her raps didn't quite pull off. And yeah, I think the The chart placing so often doesn't tell the full story, but here it kind of does. America voted with its lack of consumerism, had no interest, moved on. We all moved on with our lives, thankfully. Okay, we'll move on to my number three. Um, I'll say at this juncture that Bruce uh, does not feature. Born in the USA felt a bit obvious. We covered Bruce quite a lot last week. Uh, you know the Bruce songs, they're all kind of very American. One man that had to feature, however, is Tom Petty. Do you know the song, Dave? Can you guess before we play the clip? Does it have a really banging guitar riff, Craig? And am I gonna to wanna to dance
1: around my room when I hear it? No. She's a good
0: girl, loves her mama Loves Jesus. In America too. She's a good girl. Crazy about Elvis, loves
2: horses, and her boyfriend too.
0: This long
2: day. Yeah, hang on Tom Petty. There, I'm stepping
1: all over this. You didn't let it hit the fucking chorus. Like, like I was, I was ready for my for our combined Jerry Maguire moment, but you took it away.
2: Freefall in there. <laughs> I feel like was, that Jerry Maguire moment should happen in person when we're able to do such hey, things. Listen, Maybe that will be criticism, our Craig. We're like we're all friendly here. Like, like look look at us, fucking Democrat versus Republican. Yeah, you know, like like we don't like, like we got more in common than that which divides us. Okay, we've we spent many years teasing, um, possibly doing a karaoke duet together. We even told a karaoke dude one time that we would do what song. I ran by a flock of eagles, and then we left just as it was so I had going to get on. My bus. Yeah, I had to get my bus, man. I mean, like,
1: like the, a twist of fate, but someday it'll happen. I've thought maybe, about this maybe, before.
2: Maybe Free Falling should be the song then. Yeah.
1: It's a good one because it means the room can pick it up when we inevitably can't do it by ourselves.
2: So yeah, that's, that's a good that one. Maybe that room could be filled with listeners. It's I not a beautiful so. dream. I've thought about this, um, yeah. I, maybe. I picked Free Fallen. Why did I pick Free Fallen? I didn't pick American Girl, um, despite having that amazing riff that also features in The Strokes last night. Because, Dave, and yeah, American Girl is kind of the obvious one. Um, It's a staple in the States, for sure. American Girl is about an American girl that is thinking of leaving America. She's saying there's lots of places to run to. It's a great big world. It's a better kind of love life. Whereas Free Falling." is the more kind of considered song that deals with Tom Petty breaking the heart of someone that essentially represents America. She loves Jesus, loves Elvis. She's a, as American as apple pie, but he's a bad boy. It's that age-old story of like the two sides of America. He's a bit of an outlaw. You know, he's referencing the vampires traveling down Ventura Boulevard. Um, It's got so many kind of great touchstones location-wise. And also, I always remember this song from... First Super Bowl I ever watched, which was I believe two thousand and seven, when the Giants surprised the Patriots, and Tom Petty did the halftime show. Right, and he did, of course, American Girl. He did Free Fall, and he gave them all the hits. It was the most American thing of all time, <laughs> until at the death when the Giants won it, and Tom Brady was left on the field having lost his Super Bowl. He was standing there as, like, just a hint of tears started to roll. And they overlaid it with Free Fallen, <laughs> which is just like Tom Brady in the middle of an American football field, weeping because he'd lost the Super Bowl as the chorus to Free Fallen rocked was the most quintessentially like Stars and Stripes thing. Oh, so good. And yeah, that's just indelibly in my mind. So that kind of gave it the nudge over American Girl.
1: That's fair. I mean, as noted, yes, it features in Tom Cruise's classic Jerry Maguire. You
2: found that movie? very american film i love i love jerry mcguire um yeah it's a great film it's featured in so many like I, f- uh, I don't know i feel like this cr- crops up every now and again it wasn't in sopranos it's been in i don't know it's been in so much
1: you mentioned Ubiquitous bruce say, there so. you mentioned bruce there of course and
2: you know controversial
1: perhaps leave this list but i applaud the decision is tom petty Thank you it. know like where does he rank for you on the american if, if there was some kind of you know. Um, like one of those test of strength things where you smash a hammer into a thing at like a fair and, you know, the more it goes up, the more American it gets, the more kind of red, white and blue and it eventually just explodes in a cloud of stars. Where is Tom Petty on this
2: strange device contraption that I'm imagining in my brain? Um, He might be more um, digestibly American than Bruce, right? Because like, I I feel like his songs, he's all about those big choruses, the hooks. He was as much influenced by New Wave as um, classic rock. So I don't think he delved too much into, like, the underbelly, like Bruce. He's very kind of celebratory. Um, He's from Florida as well, I think. He's just like a a real kind of good old boy in the best possible sense. Um, so yeah, he, he kind of symbolises a lot of, like, um, uncomplicated, great patriotism for sure. seemed like a good dude. Um, Great musically, but maybe not quite like a Dylan or Springsteen where you're getting kind of the full story, warts and all, so they can't really be pinned down as unabashedly kind of patriotic.
1: Uh, Breaking and American-focused and concerning news, Craig, I have for you right now, not to do with the election. Uh, Creed are threatening to reform. (laughs) How do you feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what kind of an omen, <laughs> Craig? Is burying his head in his hands? It's not a good omen. <laughs> he doesn't look. He doesn't look pleased. Okay, my number two on this bad songs about America list. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's get it out of the way. Let's go to England and do the song. Let's do it.
2: Here it is. What a drag it is. The shape I'm in. Well, I go out somewhere, then I come home again. A lot of cigarettes. I can't get no sleep.
0: There's nothing on the TV, nothing on the radio that means that much to me. All my life, watching America.
1: All my life,
0: panic in America.
1: Oh 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 oh, there's
0: trouble in
1: America. Oh oh. Oh, oh God. Okay, let's fucking do this, shall we? Uh, as I slam down what is unfortunately not a stiff drink. It's Razorlight, Craig. It's America. Uh, it's their biggest hit. Number one in the UK, 2006. Johnny Burrell. Cynical cash grab of a song, I would suggest. and he says it's about deeper things than that. We can get into that in a second. Very predictable choice. Kind of can't do the list without it. You were very happy when you heard
2: those wonderful searching chords playing.
1: I is must it, admit. Is it a rock
2: star moment for you? A rock star moment. Yeah. In that there's no irony whatsoever. I must admit, this has been like rattling around in my brain quite a lot this week, just from a purely ironic kind of like, oh, all my life watching America, Johnny was right. What are we like? He was onto something. This was when it was over for Razor Life for me. It was a huge, huge hit, but there was no going back, right? They were either going to become the biggest, blandest band in the world or fall completely apart. And I actually (laughs) had money on them, Becoming the biggest blandest band in the world because they were hitting all the marks, um, but they just kind of fell apart. Oh, they imploded! Ironically, like crazy, by do yeah. by re- returning with um, their next album and a song that cribbed shamelessly from uh, a song by a band called America. I love how course, with no name. We can't go. <laughs> we can't
1: go five shows without mentioning Slipway Fires and <laughs> 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 the infamous Jonathan Ross performance of "Is It Wire to Wire?" What's the song again? Wire to War. Wire. wire to wire. It's, oh, it's, it's so good. So listen, let's have a couple of words from Johnny Burrell. Um, Burrell, we do this every time.
2: <laughs> we'll Which be one? doing this for eternity. Uh, <laughs> I think he prefers Burrell. So, okay, Johnny fine. Burrell. Johnny Burrell it is.
1: Uh, Burrell, while speaking to The Guardian in 2014, was asked, does all your music arise from conversations? He said, no. <laughs> on the second album... <laughs> Which is what this song is from. Uh, I wrote with Andy Burroughs, our former drummer, and we wanted to prove ourselves as pop songwriters like the Beatles. And then he immediately says, I'm not saying we're as good as the Beatles. I need to put that in there, OK? But in the sense of let's see what we can do as pop writers, we got to a point where we reached enemy saturation and we were apparently quote unquote cool. But we would had more than our fair share of being cool in that world. We could have coasted on that momentum, but Andy and I were closing in on something new, something different. I remember when I made that record, people said, this is one hell of a risk. You're turning right when bands are supposed to turn left. And I was like, I don't care about what I'm expected to do. Now, that leads the interviewer to say, did that feel less honest? Johnny says, well, if you want to talk about honesty, look at the song America. (laughs) I was in America a lot and I was getting extremely pissed off. Um, that habeas corpus was uh, was suspended as far as the Americans were concerned. They were waterboarding at will, waging wars in the name of freedom, which I found incredibly distasteful. So that went into the song America. I could have just sung about some bird or something, you know. And finally, the interviewer says, "Did people pick up on that message?" Johnny says, "Yeah, in France they did. In England, I don't know. <laughs> it's an immediate song. I don't expect people to pick up on anything beyond the uh uh uh." So I presume he sang the last part, I don't know. He obviously, of course, would go on to discuss landfill indie, coining the term, maybe, possibly, in Noisy in 2016. And he referred to the song Before I Fall to Pieces, which is on the same album. And he said, to his credit, yeah, here's where we totally fucked it up for everyone. And he can kind of say that in 2006, at the start of this video, music wasn't quite an interesting place. Three and a half minutes later, it's fucked. He said that Razorlight started out as a really energetic, fun band But somewhere along the way, it all went wrong. So you did like them for a while, did you? Like, unironically like them.
2: Yeah, I think I would still, I haven't gone back to the first album, but I think hypothetically, I could go back to the first album, Dave, and acknowledge it as a pretty good kind of whip whip smart set of um, just fun rock songs. Um, They just had that kind of, Cool trebly guitar sound. Um he can write like hooks, you know? Like he's he he can actually construct a pop song. And when they were aligning that with kind of more interesting um musical stuff and they were a bit rough and ready, it was fun for a year or two. And then he got it into his head that he should, you know, wear all white and make big proclamations at Live 8. And he essentially decided that I will become the new cooler bono. And this is him I know he didn't write this song and that must really irritate him. Maybe not so much now that people always slag off America, but I know at the time he was clearly fuming that Andy Burroughs wrote this song. Um, But yeah, this is his stab at like, kind of, we are you too. And we are coming over to your land, America, to tell you about your land. (laughs) And we understand the big themes and the spiritual journey we're all on. And like, this was, I think for him, he was like, okay, now we have to do our Joshua tree. You know, when, uh, you know, Bono was like, okay, we're going to like tap into Tap into the culture and um, the zeitgeist in America and write our biggest songs. This was what they were trying to do, but of course they weren't as adept, um, and it was just really obvious and vaguely cringy, and yeah, it was. It just fell apart from there.
1: The song was everywhere in two thousand six. Um... I remember hating it on Impact and I also remember like leaving HMV if it came on or you know leaving a room if it came on because it has the quality this song has it's one of those songs like you know Of Monsters and Men Little Talks that kind of song that just really gets under my skin and makes me feel physically uncomfortable like it, it, it does something to me that I, I just I'm allergic to it I, I think it is you know objectively on paper a bad song anyway but there's just something extra here like mixed it's- in that really fucking upsets me
2: I think I know what it is I think it's that thing that it's, it's even in his vocal you can hear he thinks it's better than it is (laughs) like the way he lingers on the you know i need something that i can believe in and he just drags it out and you're like lyrically this is vapid as hell but he thinks this is profound as fuck and he's going to sell it like that so it just takes this kind of very mediocre bland song to like because he thinks he's just like saying something so prophetic and you know illuminating it just rubs against me the wrong way, and it's yeah, it's horrendous. I think that's what it is. Can There's many, you, many reasons. So, can you recall the first time you heard it and your reaction to it at the time? Like, I probably bought the album, so I was listening through the album. I'm not sure if this led as a single. I don't think it did because I think um, in the morning was the lead single, which was fine. It was kind of talking headsy. It was a bit of a bop, like it was. It was cleaner, but it was still fun. But then I think on listening to the album. This was maybe four tracks in. There was already a number of songs where he was clearly trying to make a statement. And I was just like, oh no, he's trying to do the big album and he is not nailing it whatsoever. And yeah, never really liked this song.
1: Got uh, got five red stars in Q magazine. And I can't remember yeah. for sure if it was that review when I first saw those stars or whether it was Stadium Arcadium by Red Hot Peppers, which I think also got five stars. I'm pretty sure it was this, that when I saw that, in my freshly bought copy of Q, I was like, well, that's the end of this magazine. And, you know, granted that wouldn't happen for a long time, but fuck me. That's one of those ones, isn't it? That's one of those ones where you realise that your relationship with the thing that you love has changed. And I refer to Q magazine and not, in fact, Razorlight, who I do not love. But I will say, Somewhere Else is a great song with hilarious lyrics that I enjoy. And I guess, you know, stumble and falls Golden, a bit of a jam. Touch is,
2: Golden Touch is brilliant like that's a really well written pop song and it's like it's him talking about stuff in his life it's not pretentious when he does that he's kind of talented but he has this capacity for extreme pretension but then don't we all David oh yeah for sure give me your silver medal there back on the good right. column Um well thematically similar um, the only thing more American than war is the anti-war movement That's how you do it, Johnny John Fogarty blasting it out back in 1969. Still sounds fresh. Creedence Clearwater Revival, Fortunate Son. Um, feels very much like proto-punk to me. And a band that are as American as they come... Um, I think they were from, they were based in San Francisco, but like they were totally adopted by that like Southern rock um, genre. Um, so, you know, you can align a lot of their songs with the likes of free, your free birds, your kind of sweet emotions. Um, but I always thought they were kind of a cut above. And this is just, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird ones where there's a friction between this obviously being quite counterculture and a protest song, but it becomes so embedded in mainstream culture that it gets adopted by like, you know, the lugheads and like the institutions it's kind of rallying against. And now it's kind of like this orthodox, like all American song. But if you just listen to the lyrics, obviously it's just against elitism, against the war, against all that stuff. And still, sadly, extremely valid.
1: Yeah, I mean, you say it comes out in 1969, but, you know, made famous in 2007, I would suggest, by appearing at the end credits of Die Hard 4.0 or Live Free or Die Hard. Uh, great film, Craig. I know you saw it, you saw it in America, right? I mean, uh, I know you had a very wild theatre experience. Can you give us a quick capsule of that, maybe?
2: Yeah, it was the night I first arrived in America. We went to the cinema to see Live Free or Die Hard, as it was known there, and... um Yeah, like I experienced the enthusiasm, I guess, of an American audience in the cinema. Yeah, so the enthusiasm started um, around about John McClane rocking up first with kind of whoops and cheers and popcorn flying. That was fine. Um, Then culminated, and there's going to be spoilers here for Die Hard 4.0 or Live Free or Die Hard, but um, okay, so essentially you have John McClane on a mission to save his daughter and... um, Hapless hacker Justin Long, I believe, from Timothy Oliphant. Um, so, <laughs> right at the desk, like McLean, McLean rocks up and he, like you know, kills a bunch of henchmen as he's wont to do. He gets shot in the shoulder in the process, and then you've like a bit of a scramble, and like Timothy Oliphant positions himself behind. McLean, and he's got the gun against Bruce Willis, uh, I think in the shoulder wound, right? And then John McLean does what John McLean does, um, and he pulls the trigger so the bullet goes through his shoulder and hits Timothy Ollivant like, in the chest, killing him, which is like this <laughs> mind-blowing moment. So mind-blowing that, again, the audience just erupts. There's people in the aisles just cheering. One dude in particular that was right in front of me got into the aisle, pointed at the screen, <laughs> turned around to me and everyone else and just went, he, he, he. Shot himself to shoot someone else, and people just erupted (laughs) again. It was incredible. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was totally forgetting that, but fortunate son, then rocking over the credits. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) what a night out! Yeah, of course, that also has that great bit where, like, Timothy Oliphant, who, by the
1: way, I I, one of my favorite actors, and it's been a pleasure over the last week he's in like The Mandalorian Season 2 and he was trending last weekend and I was like oh god why is everyone talking about the Elephant? like he's either dead or has been cancelled mm. neither of it uh, he popped up in The Mandalorian Season 2 and everyone was like oh my god this guy's the hottest guy ever and it's like yes he is and a great actor to boot um, but like he's no John McClane yeah, tell you that much he's no John McClane you, you get that bit though where he's like He's taunting John McClane as he's putting the gun up against his wound. And he's like, I I think what he says to me, he goes, uh, on your tombstone, John, it should read, always in the wrong place, at the wrong time. (laughs) And then Bruce is like, how about yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker? And (laughs) it's like, it's so stupid. Incredible (laughs) script. It's so stupid. Uh, I'll tell you, real quick, I am... This close. I'm ready. I'm through with my horror month, of course, and I'm so close to re-watching Die Hard with the Vengeance. I fucking love that one. I'm so ready for it. I might even watch it tonight. I'm going to try and convince my housemate to dip out of the election for two hours, but we'll see how it goes. Nice. Good song, though. I like it quite a bit. Um, Creedence are good. Are you? Uh, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson, Adam, that, that, that is his psychic in that movie, of course. It's great. Jeremy Irons is the villain. Jeremy Irons, fucking outrageous. Yeah, you know. that's a brilliant uh, film. It's in- the first in- one, English then three, actor- right? And
2: then... Two obviously yes. was, yeah, it was uh, a bit of a slip.
1: Two's better than you think it is. But yeah, okay. so like Jeremy Irons, an English actor playing a German who at one stage masquerades as an American. It's fucking outrageous. And it's just like, it's just got all those great moments where he's like, John McClane's like, you know, your brother's a fucking asshole. And then like Jeremy Irons is like, yeah, 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 yes, he was, John. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, I love it. I love it. It's so over the top and I, it's wonderful. Credence, yeah? Good band?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think But I, you know, as I was saying, I think they get lumped in with like... um slightly neanderthal southern rock a lot of the time and i think they that does them a disservice they're not too right on they're not like america woo and um, they just sound quite a bit like that but yes yeah, altogether smarter bands than they're given credit for
1: well craig listen if it's neanderthal southern rock you want right i am happy to oblige with my number one hit the music adam
0: in the sun, we couldn't wait for night to come to hit that set. We were trying different things We were smoking funny things Making love our lake.
1: yes at number one for me it is the biggest hit of Kid Rock's career it is all somewhere long from 2008 now listen to be fair you might have bopped along to that you might have been like this is a bit of fun of course it is it's mashing up two incredibly good songs Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London and Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama and real quick by the way on the subject of skinner for years and years and years I found Freebird to be this complete obnoxious mess this trash nightmare yeah and then I went through this weird phase I think it was ever seen like the Devil's Rejects one of Rob Zombie's only good films and even then it ain't great but they use that in it and I was like oh hang on no maybe it's got some charm and I did find myself going through a phase of actually like thinking it was fucking incredible for quite quite six a lovely months song i went yeah. back it this week it's great and like that what 5 minute guitar solo yeah <laughs>
2: it's pretty good it's just a mood um, isn't it it sounds lush it's great you can kind of sink into it mood. yeah
1: big american mood as is kid rock i've said it before I'll say it again you need to go to google you need to type in kid rock gq cruise an article written by Drew McGarry in which he went on the Kid Rock cruise for about two weeks of his life and regretted almost every second of it. It's an astonishing piece of music journalism. It was heavily influential on me going to picture this five nights in a row and trying to... Uh, tap into a similar experience. Unfortunately, I didn't make it to the Slipknot Cruise this year, which did not happen for obvious reasons. But, you know, there's always next year. There is. As for this, though, 12 years on, all summer long, haunting enough song. Kid Rock. I mean, what can you say about the man? You could. I, I could have chosen American Badass here, Craig, but I've gone for all summer long. Now, you might be wondering, how did the idea come together to put these songs together? How innovative was it? Well, luckily for you, I've got some audio of the man talking about it on uh, Jimmy Fallon, I believe. Another American Nightmare. Play it for me, Adam.
0: All summer long, which everyone knows has a lot of tinges of other songs. So my engineer came in while we were doing rock and roll Jesus and he um, <clears throat> he had Where was the London looped up over a beat. And I was like, Oh that's cool, but you know, I'm not really doing that type of thing right now. It's a different type of record. And I sat there listening to it, going on, and I had a guitar in my hand and I started plucking Sweet Home Alabama to it, which is in the same key fit perfectly with the chord structures, and if you throw an F in there, it's go on, take the money and run. There's a million songs in that vein. <clears throat> and what i had found over the years is I like, I never like to go to clubs and go oomph, 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 bam, bam, all night long. It drove me up a wall. But then when they started doing the mashups with the old kind of hip-hop beats with the classic rock songs, whatever, I was like, oh, I can get into this. I like this. So, <clears throat> at that point, you know, we used to do mashups when I was a DJ as a kid, different stuff like that. Spending 45 records, putting them on 33 and mixing them with hip-hop records and stuff. So it's kind of been my world for a long time. And even though a lot of critics said, oh, you just ripped off a song or whatever, I thought it was actually very creative. I was doing something that had never been done. Because even though mashups have been done, nobody's ever taken two songs, mashed them up, and wrote and written an original uh, lyric and melody over the top of them. So we did it. and. Um, seemed to work out pretty well. So,
1: I mean, you know, I thought he was doing okay there until the second half of that there. And I, I, yeah. I do
2: dispute that claim. So would I. Seems like quite the pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think he's like, maybe his um, musical knowledge isn't quite what it should be for a massive recording artist. Also a, a massive Trump supporter. So we shouldn't go in too hard on him, right? right yeah, because he's a man <laughs> he's having a watch. tough week he's having a tough all oh, right sorry <laughs> i think you meant like, like as
1: a general rule and i was like <laughs> what are you about to reveal here craig um it's his first international hit this was huge actually it knocked dizzy rascals dance with me from the top of the uk singles chart back in 2008 Uh, i read a little thing about it here a website has said that the lyrics of the song imply the kid rock and his girlfriend drinking smoking having sex all summer long in his hometown in northern michigan but there's more to it as kid rock said i knew the track was solid it's got two of the best songs of all time mashed up together great melodies so really my work was done i knew people would hear it and know that i wrote it they'd know it was real and there'd be that connection and that's what's missing in music today I think people don't believe half the shit they hear some rapper or some pop girl singing about. But with me, they do. And that's why people have reacted the way that they have to the song. How did you react to this one back in uh, 08? I hated it. Obama going in. (laughs) Good
2: times. What a time to be alive. (laughs) Uh, No, I loathe it. It was the same category as Rockstar. And just, again, because it was everywhere. um, Inescapable despise it then, despise it now. It wasn't sheer kind of ubiquity either because I was actually thinking during this week and it didn't make my number one, spoiler alert, but like um, uh, Lil Nas X, I, I feel like that song is fine. It's kind of doing the same thing as this, but doing it right because it's like a mashup of genres. It kind of leans into country and the Southern vibes, but it's like, I don't know, it's pretty pretty, maybe it's just the personalities. Maybe Lil Nas X is just actually likable. So Old Town Road works and you've got like the video um, with Billy. But no, this is this is the dregs. This is the worst. This is your number one for sure.
1: It absolutely is. And to be fair, you know, you mentioned Rockstar. I think if, if we've learned one thing from my list this week, Craig, it's that Rockstar is a true American original.
2: What you got for me at number one for you. Okay, um, so this song isn't really about America because I think the number one song shouldn't lyrically be all about the country. Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't be like subject matter. It should capture the essence, the spirit, the vibe um, and the sounds of the country, I think. And I think this really encapsulates Adam is, it. Uh, it's... <laughs> Adam is giggling here, by the way. So I, I feel I'm about to be fucking blindsided by something. Could it be, you know, George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue? No, it's this. Your Zone, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> it had to be. When I played it, it could only be this one. Um, no other country on earth could produce this song. And of course, <laughs> coupled with, you know, the cultural baggage, I feel like in the depths of the Lincoln Memorial, there's probably like a copy of the Constitution, you know, first edition, first issue of Superman, and a VHS of Top Gun. <laughs> this is like pure... Um, I don't know, American kind of um, military-industrial complex on lots of drugs. This is like doing rails with Uncle Sam. Um, it's unabashed, like hitting the freeway, taking on the world um, ill-advisedly. But it's just such a shot of American energy, right, Dave? Oh, B B,
1: getting an uh, American flag tattooed across my fucking throat, baby. <laughs> uh, I must say, by the way, this is like... You mentioned uh, recently, like, you know, the way that we title these episodes, we used to do quips and, like, quotes from the episode. If that was the case, without question, this episode will be called Doing Rails with Uncle Sam. Unbelievable. (laughs) What an image. Uh, Yeah, it's an astonishing song, to be fair. And I watched Top Gun over the summer during lockdown one, and... I think this gets as much play, like, they played fucking Berlin's Take My Breath Away about three or four times in that movie. They really, and they played this a lot as well. So, you know, they got bang for their book in that film. And that film as well, you know, is quintessentially American, over the top, so bombastic and silly. And yet you kind of punch the air all the time, even though... we're from little old ireland i know like i don't understand it
2: it's undeniable it was like swept up on that like 80s reagan era thing of just like america's back baby we're number one we're fighting the commies (laughs) Uh, and we're winning damn it it's interesting that um like kenny loggins um attached to this he obviously did um footloose as well i think that was his biggest hit um, but he was very much not first choice. And he said it was like a snap decision when he was asked to do it. And he's like, oh, I'm not sure. OK, I'll do it. But like people that had turned down doing the film soundtrack. Uh, Brian Adams was approached to allow his song Only the Strong Survive on the soundtrack. Um, and performed Danger Zone, but he declined because he felt that the film glorified war and did not want any of his work linked to it. <laughs> Typical Canadian, and maybe a wise <laughs> choice by Brian Adams, you got to admire that. But I'm glad we got Kenny Loggins, and obviously Giorgio, Marauder, which is like very American as well, using kind of European technology um, after defeating, like, do you know what I mean? It smacks of, like, getting the top German scientists over to work at NASA, get Georgia over to give us some of those massive synths and (laughs) make it American. And yeah, like, this was America, fuck yeah, from Team America. Like, if you listen to that, that is just modelled on this tune totally. It is quintessentially American, as I say, no other nation could produce this kind of song. Maybe North Korea could do their own kind of version in terms of Bombast, but it wouldn't have those killer synths.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's this or it's like the training montage from Rocky IV yeah. by Vince DiCola. Or, Cola, or maybe like Giles Team
2: from like Street oh, Fighters, Gauls you know, theme, know what I mean? Oh, God, yeah. fuck
1: me. I love Giles Team so much as we know. Um, but the, the Rocky IV montage is like... Yeah. That song is so outrageously ostentatious that, like, you can fucking taste the cocaine in the studio (laughs) where it was made. Uh, Amazing choice, Craig. Very, very happy with this one. Very happy with these lists, to be fair. Um, So I guess, you know, now is the time, you know, to decide. America, good or bad? (laughs) (laughs) We'll wait till all the votes are counted, maybe. (laughs) That's fair, yeah. It it is a democracy. Uh, This was fun. I've enjoyed this. Next week on the Encore... It'll be uh as far as a uh, top five wise yet to be decided but album wise I know it's going to be Kylie Minogue and disco and I know this because it has been chosen by Craig who will be leading the show alongside returning guest co-host Zara Hederman I'm taking the week off much deserved Adam will be here as well yeah listen you know every now and then you need a bit of a breather Adam will be here as well of course as this episode like all the other ones engineered by our wonderful Sonic architect Adam Shanahan it's patreon.com slash noancore if you want to support the show. Craig, um, you mentioned last week on the show you were going
2: to spend the weekend watching scary movies. It was Halloween. Did you get any in? I watched one that happened to be on the TV on Halloween night and I hadn't actually seen it before. And you know what the film was? Rosemary's Baby, which isn't really a scary film. It's also like a Roman Polanski film, but it was on TCM and I was intrigued and I kind of enjoyed it. But yeah, yeah that was it, my... got that 70s lilt to it, you know, yeah, that was my um... that was my one my one concession to horror films so yeah maybe next year dave yeah
1: i closed out the month on um i watched 36 films in the entire month of october and I wow. think 33 of them were horror films but then i also like a communal kind of house thing at the end of the uh, at the end of the night on halloween we all watched how to lose a guy in 10 days which i guess is probably a horror in some in some, in some respect so but you know it's got matthew mcconaughey smiling big Pre-macconnaissance. I, I, I watched the whole thing. Uh, all right, that's no encore for this week. And hopefully, when this episode lands, the world will be in something of a better place. We don't know. We don't want to jinx it. Uh, yeah. It'll be Stay fine. Safe. <laughs> Stay safe. Uh, enjoy, yeah. your freedom, to, enjoy your freedom, America. Enjoy your freedom, Dave, to, week off. I <laughs> listen to Rockstar by Nickelback. Yeah, I will. Yeah. i spend most of my week off getting into Canadian legends that are Nickelback. My name is Dave Hanratty. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back next week.
2: This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.